Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. And I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. I'm sure most of you have already figured that out by now. Um, before I get started, I want to thank the contributors to my show. Uh, without them and without you, I wouldn't have a podcast. Uh, for my executive producer, Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger. Senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me. My neural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in being a contributor to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com. There's all different ways you contribute. You can contribute money to help cover the costs. You can contribute time in promoting it. Or you could even volunteer to take over the newsletter, which has become almost non-existent. It's just a hint. And now, without further ado, my guest for today is Amy Bel-Air. And she is the host of her own podcast, Third Eye Awakening. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Gary. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so here we are, podcaster versus podcaster. <laughs> it should be a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what made you start your podcast and what made you kind of go down this spiritual road? Well, my I started my podcast because I'd been on the spiritual road for a really long time. I feel like my, I, you know, I think all kids are spiritual, honestly. Um, I wasn't, I don't remember feeling like a psychic child or like I was having really any really unusual um, experiences apart from just being precocious and kind of a little shit and feeling like I, pro- I probably was a little bit too sharp for um, my own good, but I felt pretty normal all the way through my childhood and my teenagehood. And then it was around 18 that, oh man, like I just, my mind started to open up. It's like, something else came online and I started down the rabbit hole of what can I, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm a swearer. I should have checked with you first. Sorry. Uh, Basically WTF is going on here. Like what even is this? This none of, none of what um, I'm told really makes sense to me. And I see a lot of very miserable people all around me. So I feel like I'm probably right on that. Uh, And so it's been a long journey of spiritual awakening. And a couple years ago, I decided to start my podcast because I'd kept it closeted for so many years. And yet it's like really the cornerstone of my personality and what I'm really passionate about. And it seemed like, why wouldn't I just talk about this somewhere? <laughs> and it, like a podcast is so nice because in a way you're you're speaking into the void. So if you're afraid of people's reactions, which I very much was, um, then you you really aren't seeing anyone's reactions. You don't, you know, you're just recording and putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it felt it felt like a safe place to start. But I also really wanted to create a podcast that would help 
other people who are maybe um, going through their own version of an awakening journey to feel less alone. Cause I felt very alone, very isolated in it and like alienated when I would try to talk about these things with most of the people in my life, I got those looks that I was afraid of um, <laughs> and that, that sense of rejection. And, and so I knew like, certainly I'm not the only one going through it. Like, of course I'm not. So why not sort of create a conversation around it and help to bring it to, I don't know, the forefront in my own little way. Cool. Were there any particular books or anything that really inspired you in the beginning? Yeah, I remember Conversations with God was really validating uh, because I had kind of, on one hand, it really blew my mind. There were a lot of concepts I hadn't arrived at. And on the other hand, there were a lot of concepts that I had already sort of suspected. But when you read them in a book or hear them from somebody else, it just feels like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Great. (laughs) And also... Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls by Dr. Michael Newton really um, helped. I suppose also Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. Um, All of those are about, well, Many Lives, Many Masters is about past lives and Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls is about life between lives in the spirit world. And um, they're from hypnosis cases. And it just, again, it further sort of, on one hand, it revealed a lot of things, but on the other hand, it confirmed a lot of things that I knew. And I'd already had a couple random past life memories. So again, it helped me to feel not crazy. Do you remember what it was like before you were born? Mm-mm. No, and I don't remember being, um, I don't remember my like being a fetus in the womb or anything like that. I don't remember my birth. My earliest memory is about one and a half, which I know is, is pretty early. I'll see. It's about the same for me. I can remember before I could walk. In, yeah. fact, in fact, probably even younger. Because I remember being in, I don't even know what they're called. Those square things that they used to put kids in. With the little, yeah. And like the little mobile thing that spin, spins around. I remember like laying mm-hmm. there looking at that. So <laughs> I, I had to have been, I don't know, maybe four or five months old. That's amazing. Yeah. It is kind of cool that I can remember that far back. Um, How about the past life memories? Yeah, I guess my first past life memories that I had, um, it was really weird because they were also, well, one of them was definitely off earth. Like it was not, it was not an earth memory. Uh, it's so hard to describe because there's almost nothing to give it context in, you know, in relationship to what we experience here. But it was just an awareness of myself as a, I almost looked like a, I don't know, like a weird eel or something. That's cool. But I, I, yeah, I was, but I wasn't physical. That was the weird part, but it had the same kind of undulating movements as an eel. And it was like opalescent mm-hmm. pinkish white. And yet there was no obvious light source. I was not floating in any kind of physical material. It seemed like a very non-physical realm, but I just knew that was me. And it was so my that was about all my brain could receive of that memory because 
again, there's no, no context. Like there didn't even seem to be um, space, but I don't believe that was the spirit world. I believe it was just another, another dimension that's so different from ours that I can't, I can hardly wrap my mind around it. And the other one was much more like ours. It what it felt like earth, but I had green skin. Everybody had green skin and um, almost kind of looked like almost like hobbits, but we didn't live in a hobbity sort of uh, arrangement. We lived really integrated into the forest. Um, we had bare feet and we had some like, you know, basic tunicky, rough, spunny, um, animal hide clothes. And we were very un unemotional, but also very peaceful beings. And our natural predator was like this huge, hairy is kind of like a dinosaur bear with mm -hmm. <laughs> a dinosaur bear cougar or something it was huge and and um I remember my death in that life I just I eventually was caught by one and eaten and like we we're very I don't know we were very dispassionate beings but among us were so I was not concerned basically that I was dying it was like okay well it's my time <laughs> and um but there was I was aware that there were among us, some wiser uh, beings that we would liken to our concept of shaman or medicine people. And yeah, it was really interesting. So I don't even know, maybe that was earth. I have no idea. The vegetation and the terrain felt similar and the, the sort of 3D nature of it felt similar. But I, you know, we don't... I'll, caveat being that probably everything we learn about history is very watered down and distorted but <laughs> we I've never heard of green humans so I don't I have no idea or those animals mm -hmm. that were our predators so I have no idea if that was actually earth or not but those are my first two past life memories and I definitely felt crazy <laughs> having those that's pretty cool <laughs> and how did you come up across these memories was it through hypnosis or just dreams um, it was kind of random. I So I had tried listening to a past life regression CD and like a self-hypnosis CD and it would never work. And then I put it on I like a long time ago. I had a little um, temporary jewelry making business. So I was sitting at my table and I was beading jewelry. And this was before um, iPhones or satellite radio, I think, or anything like that. Like I just had a CD player and a radio basically. And I had kind of gotten tired of my CDs. So, and I hated the radio. So I put on this hypnosis CD that never worked just to put it on in the background. And it seemed actually like the perfect activity to become suddenly receptive. Like enough of my brain was preoccupied with the task of stringing these beads that the rest of my brain could be, I don't know, like hypnotized or guided, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, without yeah. me even really realizing. I had no expectation that it was going to work. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You could have been one of those Hobbit people on Earth. It's just we don't really know what color skin they had. Yeah, that's what I, that's, that's a suspicion that I have, mostly because the, like I said, the terrain and the environment seems so familiar, so earth-like, like none of the colors were different even of the, the plants or anything like that. It was just the color of the beings that I was, um, 
And who knows? I mean, we don't know Earth's history for real. Not our conscious human minds. We will eventually. Eventually. That's cool. You know, I, I, I would just assume that you were probably like one of those Hobbit people. You probably got eaten by a squatch. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it happens. People get eaten by squatches. It's, it's just part of life. Yeah. Not much anymore, though. No. No. I, I think we've become unappetizing to the squatch. Probably. We're full of um, chemicals and toxins. Yeah. <laughs> We're like junk food. Yes, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what type of spiritual practices do you have in your life? Do you do meditation, astral travel, remote viewing, any occult ceremonies? Um, well, currently I, so I'm an Akashic record reader. So I, and I'm always, always heavily booked. So I feel like I go into the Akashic records about seven days a week, at least a couple times a day on behalf of other people. And, um, that has, that is a spiritual practice of its own, but for my own like well-being and my own explorations currently I meditate twice a day and when I say meditate I use that term very very loosely because I also am in my third trimester of a pregnancy and I have a two and a half year old so anybody who has little children knows that like meditation is different on one side of having a, a baby and um, on the other. So basically I get up in the morning uh, when I can, when I feel rested enough, but that's most days before my husband and my daughter. And I just go sit in the same spot, which I feel is very important and conducive to me reaching a meditative state quickly. And I just uh, listen to the same meditation every day. And it's more like, the, the value of the meditation isn't so much that I pay attention and follow the guided prompts. It's more like, because it's the same track every day, my sleepy brain kind of just goes onto autopilot into meditation, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I sort of connect with the experience of reality that I desire to um, manifest, meaning the, the, the timeline, the potential that I want to put my attention and energy into. And then at the end of the day, I do the same thing, but I'm more awake. So I don't, I don't use a guided track. I just sort of like go into it quietly on my own. And that's about, that's about like the top of my spiritual practice currently. Although one could say that parenthood is a spiritual practice on its own as well. So you got a bun in the oven? Yep. Wow. Can you read your uh, unborn baby's acoustic records? Oh, that's a good question. I've never tried reading my baby's acoustic records, um, but I have known this baby was coming since 2017 when I was pregnant with my daughter. I knew I knew there was another one. Every time I went into meditation, there would always be it would either be me with her and I was pregnant or me with her and I had a baby. So I always knew this one was coming and I've felt it very strongly through the years. And so it just feels to me like, 
yeah, I know who you are. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I don't, I honestly, I don't care. I'm so excited for my surprise, but I've never thought to try and read their Akashic records. I've actually never read any of my children's Akashic records, except for I lost my second born son. And that's how I found the Akashic records because he died when he was 20 days old. And that was really hard, of course, of course. And yeah. I, I really wanted to, I felt like I needed to understand on a spiritual level why it happened. On a physiological level, I understood why, but I I just needed to know if I had done something to cause this. So I discovered the Akashic Records or was led to discover them, really. And I went into the Akasha to find out why he had died. And so I think that's the only child that I've read for. The other ones, I just kind of want to I want to let them be their own beings without kind of nosing around in their business if that makes sense yeah did you find out your answer yeah i did yeah it was it was that's why i'm an akashic reader because it was the by far the most healing and powerful and transformational um thing i've ever well the whole experience with him was transformational but the trip into the akashic records like truly truly healed all of the um, disempowering aspects of grief so that of course I still miss him I still grieve the things that we don't get to experience but I no longer feel um, like you know something terrible befell us or like it's a tragedy I just I understand what it is now so so basically he what I found was that he I thought I had done something wrong. I thought it was my karma. And I know my husband thought the same thing too. And it was um, driving me crazy. So when I went into the Akashic Records to ask about this, I learned that it actually wasn't, it wasn't our karma at all. And if it was, if the, our, my concept of karma was all wrong, but if it was anyone's air quotes karma, it was my son's only insofar as it was an experience that his soul desired to have in order to bring closure to the leftover energy of another life experience he had, he had had. And he had asked us before he was born, before we were even technically born in that no time, no space, uh, you know, place that we exist in when we're not incarnated in 3D. And um, we agreed. And he, he even gave us all these outs, all these reasonable outs along the way to sort of like, yeah, to back out of it. And we... I mean, on a conscious level, I had no idea, but I just knew that I didn't want to. So for example, we got pregnant really unexpectedly, like very, very shortly after we met, like so shortly that one, one would think, oh yeah, it is reasonable to probably just terminate this pregnancy and get, give yourselves time to get to know each other better first and then try again later. Uh, but we both just felt like nope that just wasn't the right choice for us and then my water broke at 20 weeks um following a very small car accident that one would never suspect would have caused that chain of events and again the option was there to terminate the pregnancy but he had a beautiful strong heartbeat and I just couldn't do it and uh so we had all these points along the way 
to choose out of this, but we, we stuck it out and he was so thankful. He got the experience that his soul wanted in order to sort of just, just be done with that, to sort of close the book on that other life. And the, it's kind of like getting, getting closure on a, a relationship, you know, or on a situation like in our human lives, if we don't have closure on something that happens, then it stays active within us. Like even if we try to move on, we don't think about it. We carry on with our lives. We still occasionally will then dream about it or something will trigger a memory. It'll come up because we just desire that sense of resolution. And it was kind of like that, but for him, it was left over from another life. Um, not this one. And he wanted like a quick, fast sort of pull the bandaid off, go through some really intense suffering uh, and then be released from that suffering and be able to then move on to other experiences, other adventures. So when when you go, do, do you think that there's a contract that we agree to before we enter 3D? I do, but I think contract is probably a little bit of a human way of perceiving it and like kind of a little strong in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just based on what I've seen in the Akashic Records and my own experience. It feels like we we always have free will. It's an inherent part of the 3D experience. Like it nobody's bestowing us with free will. It's just an integrated aspect of being in this realm where there is polarity and therefore so much choice and cause and effect. Um, So we, I I would say we come in with agreements, soul agreements. There's nothing that we're beholden to in a state of like abject misery that we have to live it out or else we break our contract. It's more like, we create these agreements from a soul perspective where we have such an expanded vantage point. <laughs> like we can see so much more of the picture than we can when we're like on the ground level here with an earth side view. Um, so we make these agreements and we kind of know that they're going to be challenging. A lot of the time they are challenging, not always, but a lot of the time. And we we feel as souls like super equal to the task and eager for it. Usually we're like, I can do this. I can do it. (laughs) And we come into our human lives and we're like, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, why? Why is it so hard? (laughs) I always wonder like maybe I missed the fine print or something. <laughs> I mean, probably we probably are so. I just see like souls being so eager to come in, so excited to be part of the adventure, and like basically to like tag into the game, essentially, and feeling like all kind of all this hubris. Like I'm going to remember who I am. Like I'm totally gonna, I'm gonna ace this. Like I've practiced. I've been here before. I know how it works. But we come in and then we pass through that veil of amnesia and. Then we find ourselves here and we're subject to so much brainwashing and programming from like every imaginable angle. It it's a it's very confusing. It's like landing in a labyrinth, basically. Mm-hmm. That's a good analogy. 
Um, when you, how, how do you access the Akashic records? Is it through meditation, trance, or is it just something that you're just able to zone in on it and check it out? Yeah, I'd say it's kind of a combination of um, zoning in and a light trance. So when I finish a reading, I might remember the flavor of it. I re might remember snippets of, you know, a theme that came up, but I seldom remember specifics, oh, even if I'm doing a reading for myself. Um, so I always record my readings because I have no idea. I really like sometimes somebody will come back to me and tell me something I said. And I'm like, whoa, I said that. So it feels a little bit trancy, but it's I don't feel like I'm in another world. Like I can mm -hmm. feel myself, you know, here in my office and um, feel my body. N nobody's coming in and taking over and speaking through me. Um, but it's, it's also not really a big to do. It's, it, to me, it's just about shifting your consciousness, um, to fine tuning it to a higher vibration where I know these terms get bandied about a lot and they can be really confusing, but it's sort of like, it's a frequency of clarity. It's a frequency of answers. And it's above all, it's a frequency of like, love, grace, and non-judgment. So it's different than intuition because our intuition gives us information, but it's usually passes through the lens of our, our own ego and our own um, biases. And of course I can't remove my biases entirely and I will never make such a claim because that's, that's just not reasonable. It still has to pass through the filter of my biases. But when I connect with the Akashic records, it's like I get such an expanded view that judgments that I might have as Amy don't apply. They just don't, I don't feel them. If that makes sense. Right. Is there any difference between being psychic and reading Akashic records? Um, I don't think so, but I think I really, really believe that we're all psychic. I, I used to work as a midwife. Uh, so if anybody doesn't know what a midwife is, I live in Ontario, Canada, and um, here at least we are primary healthcare providers. We're like doctors specifically for normal, healthy pregnancy and birth. And we, so we air quotes, deliver babies, basically mothers do all the work and push babies out and our hands receive the baby and help guide the baby out. And then we take over the aftercare as well. So I've received so many newborn babies, um, you know, brand new arriving Earthside. And then I've also, if I wasn't present for their birth, I will visit them shortly thereafter um, just to check up on them and see how they're adjusting. And I've never met a baby. I, I always say, like, I, there are no muggles. I've never met a herpy derp, like, dumpster human muggle baby they're they're so in tune they know what's up like it really doesn't it doesn't surprise me that you had a memory um in your infancy it's just unusual that you still have access to it now but babies are not blank slates like we think they are they're so so highly attuned so i believe that we're all psychic i don't think there's a point where we just lose that psychicness it's just that we get disconnected from it 
because of all that programming we receive around, we receive around it, and because it's not encouraged, there's no there's no dialogue around it as like a normal mainstream part of our culture, at least in the Western world. And I imagine that probably in some cultures that do have room for it and create create and maintain dialogue around it, um, children don't like they just grow in their psychic abilities, you know. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I've never, I guess as a child, you know, you're definitely more open and more aware. And then after a while, we go to school and we're told what to think and all that stuff kind of goes away. Yeah, and exactly. And I also think like we have a misunderstanding of what psychic is, which is one of my favorite things to talk about because. I spent so long <laughs> wanting to be psychic and thinking I wasn't psychic. And now I do Akashic Record readings for people and get validation and confirmation all the time that what I'm, what I'm seeing, what I'm pulling forward is relevant. They're not just weak, vague shots in the dark that kind of match. It's like I can describe somebody's dog. I can describe somebody's, um, you know, the person they that is their love interest that they have a crush on. Like, so it's so, but I don't feel like I'm any different than I was the whole time in my whole life. It's just, I learned how to pay attention to it and not discount it because it's so, so subtle. I always thought, and I think a lot of people think that psychic abilities are like so overt that it feels like being, you know, smacked in the face with a tree branch or something, but it's not, it's really subtle, non-physical information. It's so quiet. And we are, we have such a noisy culture. <laughs> we have so <laughs> many distractions. It's very easy to not notice. One of the things I was just thinking about was like, he was a midwife and giving birth, you know, being present for all these births. Do you think there is a difference between birth and dying? Well, I've been present for both. Mm -hmm. So I think, I, I mean, no, it's just two ends of the same experience. Like it's a, like a portal in to mm. the third dimension, which is the real trip. Like this place is wild. <laughs> and then there's the portal out and it's, yeah, I think, and I, I always used to think that it's kind of, it's funny that, oh, I don't know, funny is not the right word, curious or something notable that um, my own baby passed away because I, before he did, before I even had him, I used to think a lot about how birth and death are separated by only the thinnest veils and how, you know, there's no, it's so easy for a soul to slip back you know, to not follow all the way through the portal into 3D and to just sort of stay in the spirit world or to slip quickly back into the spirit world. And I think that's, yeah, I think that if there's really not a big difference at all. All right. I don't either. You know, it, it bothers me in some ways that our culture is shies away from death. It makes it such a bad thing, you know, when it's just as important as being born. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And there's so much celebration around birth and, and no, and so much fear around death. And yeah. it's, it is a taboo. Like it's like that, that made it hard to continue practicing as a midwife. And one of the reasons that I ended up leaving afterwards, <clears throat> because I could feel how much fear there is around um, death. So, you know, doctors are afraid basically they're afraid of being responsible. Nurses are afraid of being responsible. Midwives are afraid of being responsible. Parents either don't even realize that babies die because they believe that our healthcare is so amazing that that just doesn't happen here or that um, they're, they're totally terrified of it because they know somebody or they've heard of something or whatever. And having lived through it, I can say that it was without a doubt the most painful thing as a human that I've ever been through for absolute sure. So painful. And yet I don't feel worse off for it. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like something was taken away from me. I feel like that's just life. It's just life. And it's been, it's been really interesting to navigate all of the interesting unfoldings of the past year <laughs> through that lens, because I don't have a fear. I really don't have a fear of death. And I don't have a fear of my loved ones dying, although I know it will be incredibly painful for me when they do the grief, the missing them will mm -hmm. be very painful. But I also feel like I'm not afraid of a virus because <laughs> it's the end result for all of us. We're all dying one way or the other, and it's okay. And everything's going to be fine. And the only the only thing that we can really do to, I don't know, mitigate that, that outcome, and it's not really mitigating it, actually, uh, but the only thing we can do is just be so fully present in our lives with our loved ones in the moment right now, in the moments that we have, that when it's our time or when it's the time of somebody else that we love, we're left with a ton of satisfaction that like I made the most out of that. I juiced the shit out of it. <laughs> I like, I loved that experience and I loved that person and I deeply miss them, but I have, I got so much out of it. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no doubt that, that, that grief or missing people is tough. You know, like I lost my parents and, and that was tough. But and I was also present for when he both passed away, which was also kind of interesting and cool in a weird way because, you know, I don't know, it, it didn't scare me. Yeah. And and that's what makes me think, like, you know, when, when somebody, a child is being born, it's like they're dying in one realm and being born into this one, and then we're dying in this realm, we're just dying here and being born into another one. Yeah. Totally. It's all, it's, it's all a continuous flow of consciousness and energy. It really isn't. I think there's, there's still a big pervasive fear for people that like our consciousness just ends. And that's not at all what I find in the Akashic records at all. Uh, I'm not a strong medium. Like I do connect with people who have passed away, but it sort of seems random when they want to connect. Um, rather than me being able to call them forward in a reliable, consistent way. But 
um, I, I just, I, all I see is continuity. It's just continuity. Just like you said, it's sort of birth is, it's a portal out of one experience into another. And then death is similarly a portal out of one experience into another. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it is. And, and, you know, I think it's, I'm not trying to say, like, tell people, like, you know, don't feel grief or anything, because that's part of why we're here, I believe. Um, but it's also just a part of the journey. It's part of what we're doing, and it keeps happening. And in the end, everything is okay, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. It really is. It really is. And when you can, like, I don't know, I just feel like my life is so much better since, like, ar arriving at that understanding. So I always refer to my son as, like, well, he, he is a gift, but he's mm -hmm. given me a gajillion gifts. And that's one of them is, like, the the real calm that comes with that understanding of, like, everything actually is okay. It, even if it hurts, even if mm -hmm. it feels not okay, it doesn't have to feel good to be okay. It's just, it's all okay. The stakes aren't that high. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's okay to even not be okay. You know, yeah. pe pe people, we, you know, you, I look around, you see so many people hung up on living in fear and, and completely attached to things the way they are, which doesn't really make sense anyway, because you're going to die. <laughs> um, you know, and, and there's just so much struggle and, and just having that little bit of knowledge, just that little piece of like, you're just moving from one thing to another. And, and yeah. even your things that you lose or, or things that you're trying to hang on to is, is not going to make a difference because you are going to lose them no matter what. Yeah. And yet, and the, but the things that we don't lose, um, are the ways that our consciousness has transformed through an experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our, our identity, meaning not the, not identity as it's being currently touted, like to, you know, I identify as this or that, but, but how we perceive ourselves and experience ourselves, that is constantly shifting and we're transforming all the time, which is one of the most beautiful aspects of being like having a human experience and being a soul. So we retain that. And we also retain the love, which I, I don't know if you found this with your parents, it depends on the kind of relationship you had with your parents, I'm sure. But for me with my, my son, because he was so young and so little, there was nothing, it was, it was completely pure. Mm -hmm. Like there was nothing to, you know, <laughs> cloud it. Right. Uh, no, no tense experiences to get in there and kind of cloud up the waters. And and so after he died, all I could feel was this acute awareness of the ongoing love. Like the love just doesn't go away. It's not gone. It's, it's just there. It's there forever. And I, I still feel it. And what a beautiful thing. So we, we try to hold on to like really weird things, which like you said, we're going to lose anyway. And we sort of forget to take into account the things that we never lose, like you never lose the love that you share with somebody ever. Yeah. yeah, It's always there. Do you still feel his presence with you? Even though he's gone, do you still feel his consciousness around you? Yeah, I do. I, I, 
I do very much. And that was one of the things that helped me through that grief period, even before I found the Akashic records was he would come to me. He came to me before he was conceived and kind of let me know he was coming. And then he sort of pulled some strings, let's put it that way, to prepare me for what what was ahead without changing the timeline, without giving it away. But like, for example, I was a student at the time, a student midwife, and he uh, and I was set to do a placement at a special care nursery, but it was just at a level two hospital where, you know, babies are 32 weeks and up. Like that's how they're only 32 weeks premature. And he was born at 26 weeks premature. And so at the very last minute, um, that, that placement fell through and they, they put me in another one at a level three hospital where, you know, any gestation of preterm baby can be born and taken care of there. And yet I was only there for one and a half shifts before that one got pulled. So I saw just enough to mentally prepare me so that I I would know what it was going to mean to have a preterm baby. Um, It was just amazing. And, and like none of that was supposed to happen. And then after he passed away, I was similarly getting, just getting communications from him uh, that were very, reassuring and soothing and I still feel his presence completely like I one of the things he told me shortly after he died like maybe the next day was that he wasn't done with our family and he wasn't he wasn't going anywhere Mm -hmm. and I've I've always I always feel him here so I feel like I also have a relationship with him like I have a son his physical body isn't here but he's still here yeah, that's awesome that you still feel. It's like you have a, oh, an extra guardian angel or something. Yeah, and I learned because, you know, I, I was in a lot of support groups and such with other people who had been through um, the loss of children. And I find that that seems to be a pretty common thing. Like when when people lose, even, even when I'm doing readings, sometimes people will talk about um, – a first trimester miscarriage and they just feel you know like I'll, I'll tune in they won't tell me anything about it and I'll tune in and I'll, I'll say like yeah I feel I feel a little being it feels like a little boy or a little girl or whatever it is and um, they they always are like yeah that's what I feel too that's what I like we know it's just there's nothing concrete to back it up so we kind of have that added wondering, but I think a lot of people feel that way after somebody important to them passes away. They just still feel them there. Hmm. That's cool. Um, how many kids do you have? I have a 16 year old son and then the one that passed away would be turning five this year. Mm-hmm. And I have a two and a half or oh, she'll be three in June. And I'm expecting my fourth. Okay. How many more do you plan on having? Well, I've always wanted seven, but uh, I'm getting a little long in the tooth. So I think this is my last one. <laughs> <laughs> I know my husband is like, done. We're done after this. Hmm. That's cool. Um, I mean, I've never had kids. I just always 
I've never been like responsible enough for that type of role. I've always been more of an adventurer myself. That's nice too. Yeah. But maybe next life. Who knows? I like having a dog and a cat. They're good. (laughs) Um, So when you do the Akashic record, like for example, would you be able to to look at my Akashic record now? Yeah. I mean, I'd have to do the tuning in process and, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah. Hmm. How long does it take? To do the tuning in process? Mm-hmm. About, I'd say about five minutes. Hmm. So we'd have to hit pause. Right, or you'd have to edit out the the gap, the quiet gap. <laughs> oh, I can hit pause. You want to do it? Sure. And the only thing I'll say is that um, it ha- really helps for you to have questions. Questions. Yeah. Because there's so... if. As you can imagine, like it's a field of infinite information. So hmm. it, to just go in, can what kind, feel of, kind, what of, kind of question is a good question? Um, let me think. A lot of people want to know about their soul purpose. A lot of people nah, want to know I about their know karma. That. I already know that. Hmm. Hmm. What do I want to know? I want to know the answer to everything. To everything? <laughs> Absolutely everything. Wait, wait. Can I ask you, like, if something could it be something really sort of off the wall? Yeah, you can try. Okay. Could you answer the question whether <clears throat> Atlanteans were here in North America? Oh, in North America. Okay. Yeah, I can give that a try. Okay. All right. So, uh, this is my listeners. I'm going to hit pause for a second, and we'll be back with the answer before you know it. Okay. Like locations or land masses, Mm -hmm. um, they were pretty much all, as I can see, near the water. But actually, they weren't their main method of... Uh, travel, or I guess I should have given you a warning that mm-hmm. you can press record again. Yep, Sorry, we're recording. We're good. Okay. <laughs> um, the main method of travel was not uh, overseas by boat or marine vessel, like we would surmise. Um, they just had a preference to be near the water for the purposes of. Let me see. feels like it has to do with um, a form of harvesting or harnessing, sorry, not harvesting, harnessing energy. Mm -hmm. But what I'm also seeing too, so it feels like they're along um, the Pacific coast and the Atlantic coast, there were settlements, if you could call it that. Um, And there were also larger land masses that we don't, we don't know of anymore. Um, one one larger landmass feels like it was off the Atlantic coast of North America, and there was also a larger landmass around what we would consider the Mediterranean now, but also 
like, like things just looked different because it was so long ago. Like the the layout of land masses was very different. Things were a lot closer together. Right. And uh, what I'm what I'm also seeing that's really really interesting is that. At first, I thought they had underground tunnels, which they might. It might be that, too. Like, there are underground tunnel systems. But but also what I'm seeing is that there's, like, like portals or, or I don't know. They, I don't think there's stargates because, I don't know, maybe I'm misunderstanding what stargates are. I don't really know. I've never really looked into them. But they feel like um, places where you could... Like they, they felt a natural spot where the vibration was very similar to the vibration in another area. And, um, it almost like one would call it like a thin spot Mm. and they created, um, doorways or archways and used sound to, kind of control and harmonize themselves with like, like to create like, I don't know, a harmonic frequency within that archway, but with the use of that thin spot, that peculiar vibration. And so they could just sort of walk through these archways and then show up in the other place. And that was how they did most of their travel rather than they didn't actually, what I'm seeing is they didn't actually do a whole lot of marine travel Mm -hmm. at all. Interesting. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't studied Atlantis, so I have no idea how that stands up to anything anyone else has found. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, Plato heard about Atlantis through the Egyptians. The Egyptians claimed to be Atlanteans. And they gave the description of Atlantis where it's like five concentric circles and canals in between and stuff like that. And there's been two places located that, that match that description. One is in Africa, and one is here in the United States in Louisiana. Okay. And um, also, you know, one of the things that I've been researching is um, a place in the Grand Canyon, which could possibly be a tunnel system, where this guy G.E. Kincaid claims to have found Egyptian artifacts. And then they were confiscated by the Smithsonian and never released to the public. That's wild. <laughs> That's really cool. But it makes so much sense because when you think about, well, well. so first of all, one of the really cool things I found is that a lot of people um, who come to me are starseeds, um, if you know what that term uh, means. Yeah, I've interviewed tons. Yeah, so I I get a lot of them, and um, so a, a good handful of them are Syrian, and what I and again like I haven't I deliberately don't study this stuff so that I'm not just accidentally regurgitating things I've read. Um, what I've found is that the Syrian star the Syrian star people <laughs> I still don't even fully know what that means myself, uh, but they. Um, they are the ones behind the creation of the ancient Egyptian, um, like really ancient Egyptian, like pyramids and the Sphinx and things like that. 
they're very architectural and they were also behind the um the civilization of atlantis and not in a bad way like when i say behind that means like oh it kind of can sound Mm -hmm. like oh they're dastardly but more like they are the they were the cedars of those those cultures they seeded those cultures and and created those um buildings and so that's really interesting even to hear that there is a tie between egypt and atlantis yeah and one of the also one of the theories is too is that the pyramids were built with uh sound vibration like they used harmonics or some type of cymatic type of technology yeah and i i i mean (laughs) to me when you say that that just makes so much more sense to me than using like slave labor like how did they even get a population that that high to be able to create multiple pyramids and the the great sphinx just through manpower no one they would have been outnumbered by the slaves so the slaves Mm -hmm. would have revolted so it doesn't even really make sense population wise so I, I I don't know why that theory is even still accepted. <laughs> people don't want to think too deeply on it, I guess. Some people don't anyways. <laughs> that was cool. That was really good information. I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty impressed because I'm sure that was like, I, I'm pretty sure like you probably have never been asked that question before. No, I haven't, which is one of my favorite things about doing the Akashic Records is just like... There, I also get asked questions that I wouldn't, it wouldn't have occurred to me. And then I learned so much cool stuff (laughs) or like, you know, it's so different doing a reading for um, somebody who has, uh, who is a star seed, finding, finding that information through their own Akashic records, rather than just generally tapping into like, oh, generally, what is the Pleiadian energy? Generally, what is the Syrian energy? Like, I find interesting stuff from there too, but I get way more rich detail from doing readings with people. Have you ever done a reading where the individual seemed kind of suspect where you had to even question um, whether they were an actual person, like maybe they were like some type of clone? I haven't. Um, I'm really lucky and all the people that come to me, actually, so all the people that come to me are really lovely beings and very, you know, they're somewhere on their human journey. That's mm-hmm. for sure. It's not to imply that they aren't having the human experience because they are, but there's very um, powerful high consciousness energy behind them um, in some state of dormancy or awakenedness. Mm. But I became aware some months ago that there's a whole other selection of human beings that, I mean, I, I knew from interacting with them that they're at a lower level of consciousness or just meaning that they're more, they're more asleep within this, you know, this dream experience Mm. that is life. They're still asleep. And, and yet I saw that their reincarnation pattern is different from um, souls with a higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had anybody come who I, I have been suspicious of, or I feel, you know, not, not great about, or I'm getting weird vibes off of, but I did have my first encounter with a reptilian a few weeks ago, 
but it wasn't the person I was reading for. Rather, they had kind of like uh, a reptilian stalker kind of. And I had never encountered a reptilian before that. So in my, like, my jury was out. I, I was just not really picking, like, you know, I, I hesitate to just say that things are true unless I have had my own personal experience with it. So I kind of wasn't commenting one way or the other, whether I thought reptilians were real or not, but Mm -hmm. this was definitely like, that's just how it presented. And so for me, it, for me, it's true now. Hmm. You know, I'm always kind of on the shelf with the reptilians too. I wonder sometimes if there's this actual race of reptilians or if when people are talking about reptilians, maybe it's like an analogy to the reptilian part of our psyche you know that part that just wants to eat food and have sex yeah i mean that that was exactly what i had been thinking and i would didn't i had no idea when i went into this reading with this person that there was any i do sometimes encounter attachments or what you could call attachments like either a couple times um, somebody's had a demon, but more often they just have like a negative hitchhiker, just some, some lower vibrational consciousness that's draining their life force, but isn't, you know, a full blown demon or anything. Um, So I'd encountered those before, but this person, I had no idea going in that this was going to happen. No idea. And I, I'm not gonna lie. I felt crazy saying it. I was like, Oh my God, I hope I'm not freaking you out. I hope like, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing and it's okay if you think I'm crazy, but I'm just going to tell you what I'm getting. But what I saw was actually, so what it felt like was that they are not physical. So they're not like actual reptile humanoid beings that like have physical bodies like we do but they had um it was like the way that their energy was arranged that almost it, it kind of reminded me of the skexies from dark crystal mm-hmm. kind of like like it, it was just a compilation or or um not a compilation like a i don't know like the the compounding of so many dark choices or self-serving choices or whatever, like, you know, just like uh, basically an absence of the love frequency is really what it was that kind of almost like morphed their energy so that they had this like really distasteful um, appearance. And I use appearance with air quotes because again, I'm seeing all of this in my mind's eye, not in physical manifestation in front of me but it was a being that had a really low frequency of consciousness and like you said was kind of like like devoid it the being was devoid of love the being was very fascinated by this other soul and had been you know kind of pursuing this other soul for a number through a number of lifetimes and this person was having like nightmares, but not, it was like about being chased and he could tell it was in a past life. So that's where I found it. I looked into that, like, who's, who's chasing you? What's going on? And this is what I found, um, this reptilian being who had a fascination, but was sociopathic about it. So like had a fixation and a fascination with this person and kind of wanted to like be, become them, like wanted to be like that, like was just fascinated, but had no ability 
to respect their autonomy or, or just like be, be normal about it. You know what I mean? So that's why mm-hmm. I use the term stalker. Cause it's like, like almost seeing the person as like an object or to be possessed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, anyway, it was really interesting. So I, again, like I, I also have this filter up or this um, sort of contingency where I take everything I see with a grain of salt with the understanding that our psyche is very symbolic. And and so my third eye interprets things symbolically and it has to filter through the bank of my own personal um, symbols that I have acquired through my lifetime to translate mm-hmm. concepts to me. So I, I also don't take anything super literally, but I've learned how to just like say what I'm seeing and, and trust it. And so much of the time it's accurate that, you know, I have a good amount of confidence in it, but with something like a reptilian, I don't think it's a physical being. I think it's a, it's a description of the energy and consciousness of a soul that has um, been that has cut itself off from the frequency of love for a long time. And it has compounded itself and almost become like um, its default setting now. Right. That makes sense. I mean, the only time I've ever, I mean, I have heard a story, actually it came from uh, Billy Corrigan from Smashing Pumpkins. And he said that he was, uh, having sex with somebody and they turned into a reptilian. But again, that, that that just makes me think of that, that lower base desire, you know, maybe just connecting. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I mean, that's really what I found that demons are or lower frequency entities. They de- they've never presented as actual reptile looking things to me before, but it's the same thing. It's like um, a, a consciousness that has cut itself off from anything that has to do with love or unity or like generosity, benevolence, anything like that for so long that it's kind of developed its its own like momentum in that direction. Yeah. And now it, because love is the, to, to what I've also found is that love is the frequency, like the truest most universal frequency there is. And, you know, we have all these weird ideas around love, which I don't think is accidental. I totally think it's a deliberate part of the programming. We all have these wounds and injuries around it, but it's actually just this, it's like the ether that makes all of creation, the substance of all creation. And it's um, its own free energy source. So it constantly replenishes itself. And if you cut yourself off from that, you can only go on for so long before you start needing to harvest energy off of some other source. Right. And that's what uh, demons or negative en- entities do is they latch on like a parasite and harvest energy off of another being that is still connected to that love frequency. But eventually, you know, if they're allowed to do it unchecked, they end up like draining that, that person. And that person usually, you know, goes down, in a, in a downward spiral to like a very bad place and probably dying of, you know, the result of some choice that it appears that the person has w- made with their own free will, but it's kind of more like they were coerced in that direction. Yeah. 
also, I think with the reptile too, is like maybe we just all have a little bit of reptile, you know? It's just a, it's a part of who we are. And I mean, it's kind of like a, a weird um, thing, but there's a Motorhead song called uh, Love You Like a Reptile. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just how I think of it. I think it's important to, well, for me anyways, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, it's been important to, to try and think of it that way. Just like you explained, because I don't know, like there's, there's such a, there's such a trap in creating an us and them mentality and an othering uh, that just sucks you deeper into the illusion. And we're all, ultimately we're all one being. We're, we really are all one consciousness. So I don't know. I don't, it makes, it brings me some comfort or like it's easier to navigate life if I believe and recognize that there's an aspect of me too that like me as well that could go that like that is reptilian or could go down that path of darkness under the right circumstances it just helps me to be like less judgmental I guess and and then therefore have less of a blind spot around my own shadows and my own the full spectrum of who I am yeah that, that and that's a very pragmatic and I think I don't know. It's, it's it's a good. I like that point of view, and I and I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. You know, because because that just sort of just goes back to that original thing that we were we were talking about is to, um, essentially there really is no good or no bad. Eventually, everything ends up okay in the end, anyway. Yeah. And that's not just for us. That's for everything. Yeah, everything. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you about your podcast. Um. Okay. Have you had any favorite guests that you've really enjoyed? Oh, favorite guests. Wow. I Well, I'm in the middle of like, I just came out of two and a half months of heavy recording um, to sort of like, like batch produce so that after I have my baby, I don't have to worry about it so much. Like I get a little grace period mm -hmm. <laughs> or I've done the work in advance. So I'm like, I'm swimming in, in memories right now as you ask this. I had one really cool reading a long time ago, and then I did a podcast episode kind of sharing what I learned because it was so unique and different. So I did a, a reading um, for a, a starseed. Her name is Rebecca, and she, her soul experience was so cool to see. Basically, she was like an extension of a higher like I didn't even know I couldn't place who I didn't have a name for who these um, beings were but they were there was no negativity to them but they basically had like offshoots of their consciousness that were um, incarnated on earth and she was one of the offshoots of their or is one of the offshoots of their consciousness and it's almost like they're doing like like a lab experiment which sounds cold and weird but it was actually really cool like they were just seeing like oh what happens when we like create an avatar on earth and send some of our consciousness down into it and how much 
how much of our consciousness can that avatar handle and navigate life? And they weren't invasive or like they had no desire to, you know, push her to extremes or anything like that. They just were sort of dripping down their consciousness through her, but then below, it's like she was attached to all of her earth parallel slash past lives too. And the, the trickle down was happening through all of those lives. It's really hard to explain, but that was so fascinating. And then recently I had a great conversation with um, Mike Romanelli, who he has a podcast too called Free Thinkers Society. And he shared his spiritual awakening story and just, he ended up interviewing me. It was really funny for my own podcast. Like he just <laughs> asked me so many questions, <laughs> but it turned into like a really excellent, like two hour conversation just about everything that's been going on and what, like how to stay sane and what we think is coming down the road. But it was more from a spiritual perspective and less of a conspiracy, scary perspective. Right. Cool. Um, how often do you put out episodes? Uh, once a week. Once a week? How long have you been doing it? I think I started it in 2019 and was not super consistent with it at the beginning. Um, but now I'm, I've been consistent with it for, oh, I don't know, maybe like a year or something like that. Awesome. Um, what is your least favorite thing about podcasting? I think my, well, I've outsourced my least favorite stuff. So my least favorite thing is, um, like editing. I'm no good at editing. So even, I've hired, do it. <laughs> yeah, I've hired an editor. I used to not do anything at all, but then I found it really like, I was really good at recording the episodes, but it was hard for me to publish them. So to type up the show notes and publish it on the same day, it just felt like all this, you know, after work that I just wanted to record the episodes basically. So that's what I do now. <laughs> I pay somebody to, to do all that other stuff and she does an amazing job and I would not be able to put them out consistently without her. So I'm very thankful for her. Oh, that's cool. Um, how do you find guests? Well, for a while, for a while, I was asking, you know, people that I knew. And my one of the things about my podcast is I don't want to, I don't want to focus on speaking with famous people or like big names, although I do, like I'm not, I'm not closed off to that either. But I really wanted like, you know, real life accounts of spiritual awakening even if they're right in the middle of it and it's not pretty and it doesn't feel good I just feel like it's not that's life that's reality and that's kind of what I wanted to give space to um so I was inviting people that I know and I could only seem to get females with the exception of one male and I was getting frustrated <laughs> because I was like this is I want to hear what guys are experiencing too and I also want to hear from people who don't necessarily have a business related to it like I I again don't have anything against that but I didn't want it to be like a show that just promotes other people's businesses or services I just wanted to hear from people what what they're going through what their perspective is I just wanted to have good conversations so then I was really lucky I 
I got to be on Sam Tripoli's tinfoil hat podcast. And I mentioned that <laughs> I mentioned that there are no dudes that seem to be interested on in coming on my show. And then I got flooded with offers. It's been fantastic. So I've been having <laughs> so many awesome conversations with like a well-rounded group of people. And yeah, I'm very thankful for that. That's great. Um, oh, geez, I just lost my question. It always happens to me. Has ever happened to you? Yes. <laughs> You're like going to go ask a question and it just kind of just goes away? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why that happens. I don't know. Especially you're not at the end of a five-day podcast recording or a five-episode podcast recording day. No, today's a light day. Today's only two. Tomorrow's my five. Actually, last night was rough because yeah, Saturday is like my Friday. You know, super busy at work. And then I came home and I had to do a podcast. I was a mess on that one. <laughs> I'm almost going to be embarrassed to release it. <laughs> um, I, that's one of the nice things about podcasting, though, is like usually I find that the listening audience is very forgiving of they, our humanness. <laughs> they, they certainly are. I don't have to be completely professional all the time. Yeah. How do you feel about life coaches? Um, so I worked with, I don't know, I'm on the fence about it. Truthfully, I worked with a coach, uh, but she was a business coach when I knew that I was wanting to transition out of midwifery and do Akashic readings. And I feel like that was, I worked with her for six months and that was such an excellent investment for me because I had so much fear, so many limiting beliefs. I think I just would have self-sabotaged the crap out of myself if I... And, and that was really why I worked with her was so that I could sort of anchor myself to somebody who had a lot of certainty that this was going to be fine um, until I could get to that place on my own. She was like my training wheels. And, uh, but, and I currently, like, I'm just starting to open up and go into, um, I call it Akashic activation coaching. And I don't like the word, I don't resonate with the word coach, but people know what I mean. It's just basically like to give deeper support to people through their Akashic records as they sort of level up to the next thing that's available to them. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like on one hand, there's, there's so much benefit to working with somebody who is not restricted by professional, rules and regulations and who some people are truly, truly gifted at like helping people to untangle their own crap and then <laughs> move beyond it. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like the coaching industry also has like a weird, a weird vibe of like quasi desperation and quasi like, I don't know, like slightly predatory um, energy of sort of, presenting themselves as living this dream life. And you can be like me, if you work with me, I'll tell you how you can live the dream life too. And like, there's, there's some disingenuineness yeah. like, in that industry. I noticed like when I, you know, I belong to some, you know, Facebook groups on podcasting, like the fine guests and stuff like that. And every time I put up, like I was looking for guests, I would get swarmed by these life coaches. And, yeah. and, and they're all like, I have a book, I have a book, I have a book. And then they all have the same exact book with their name on it. 
Yeah. And I'm like, this is just, you guys are just putting your name on something that you didn't even make. And you're trying to sell it as your own. Yeah. Like it becomes totally like there's, I, I really believe that there are some people that are really gifted with understanding, like how to manifest, how to, um, how to live life in a way that is authentic and feels good and exciting and makes the most of the opportunity that this life presents. And they're really good at also guiding and leading people kind of the same way. Some people who have been through uh, an NA or an AA program make really excellent sponsors, right? Like they just really do. I feel like some people have that gift, but a lot of people, they just kind of nebulously know they want to help people. And they think, Oh, I like this person makes a lot of money life coaching and I'm going to try that too. But they have these big gaping sounds so judgmental. I feel really kind of like an asshole for saying this, but they have these big gaping wounds of their own that Mm -hmm. haven't been sort of filled in and they're sort of um, adhering to a formula that isn't authentic to them and trying to make it work and desperate for exposure, desperate for like those clients so they can just be making their 10K or more months. But it's not necessarily actually the best expression of their unique gifts and energy in this life. Right. Yeah, like, I know for me, like, if anybody in my audience um, just wants to become, like, a lazy bum podcaster, I'm your guy. And I'll tell you how to do it for free. (laughs) (laughs) It's real easy. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Um, Let's see. I think I'm almost out of questions. This is a cool show. Yeah, this is a great conversation. Um, but before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? The easiest places to find me currently are um, obviously through my podcast, Third Eye Awakening. It's available on um, the major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and then things like Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, um, Pocket Cast, that kind of stuff. And, but otherwise I'm on Instagram as my handle is, um, the North star dot love. Sometimes I'm active there. Sometimes I'm not. (laughs) And I have a Facebook group called soul space, which is free. That's probably the place where I'm the most active because I know people really want to be there. If they've joined, they want to be there. So I kind of tend to show up and just go on random rants and rampages or um, offer Q and A's and things like that. And I'm soon going to be moving over to Rockfin so that I can speak a little bit more freely about things that otherwise get kind of flagged and censored. Somehow I got low key flagged on Instagram. I have no idea because I'm I don't talk about controversial things there. But anyway, I'm like semi censored there already. So that's that. Those are the places you can find me, and I'll be on Rockfin soon. I haven't checked out Rockfin yet, but I don't know. Like. I haven't been, well, I mean, I've been wiped out by the FBI, but that's a, <laughs> <laughs> they destroyed like three of my computers in one day. Wow, really? Yeah, they did it remotely too. They just, you know how like, like, like back in the old days with old cable boxes, they could send like a bullet and wipe out your cable box? Yeah. Well, they do that with computers. So, you know, I had recorded some episodes and they just wiped out my computers so I couldn't publish them. We lost everything. Wow. 
Yeah, it's it's real. It's a legit thing. It's really interesting, especially when you feel like you're a small potatoes person. I don't know if that's how you feel about yourself, but I feel like I'm small potatoes. And to be like, to have said some kind of trip word or something that now has me flagged and has my content taken down is really like, what? And like, wow, this really is real. <laughs> well, they don't want people to know. No. Um how free we actually can be in our that's, and, and that's our in our potential. Idea. They don't want us to know our potential because if people start waking up and realizing that we're completely limitless, they lose control. Uh, absolutely, that's exactly it. And that's the I mean, that's probably what it is on Instagram because that's literally all I talk about ever in any of my posts is how divine you are, how worthy, how powerful you are, how much magic you have, how, you know, you have all these psychic gifts and blah, blah, blah. So something I've said there has, has flagged them. But I think ultimately is that's exactly it. Like they, they can't control us if we understand how unlimited and how free we truly are. And so that stuff has to get kind of quelled. But Rock, you should check out Rockfin um, because you can have your podcast, like I'm going to keep my free podcast because I really love creating that content that's free for people. But I'm just going to then have a Rockfin channel where I can talk about things and not feel like I'm sort of tiptoeing around a bunch of landmines. Uh, But Rockfin's amazing because you, it's sort of like Netflix. So you only have one paywall. So you pick one person that you want to support uh, and subscribe to them and it's like I think it's $9.99 US a month so it's not even high and just through sponsoring that one person you get everybody's premium content available to you hmm. so you're only paying one whereas on Patreon I'm thinking of starting a Patreon too um, for a different reason but one thing I don't love about Patreon is they do do censorship and you you know you have to subscribe to every single person that you want to support So I try to look for the ways that I can make content that's authentic and accessible, but also pays me a little bit of money because it is expensive to do and time consuming to do this work, which I love and uh, will do it anyways. But also that, you know, it doesn't cost people an arm and a leg to, to be able to listen to stuff that expands them and feels good for them. That's cool. I'll have to check it out. And uh, send me those links, and I will post them in the notes to this episode so my listeners can listen to your podcast and check out your Facebook and your Rockfin and all the other stuff you have going on. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for being on. This was a fantastic interview. And uh, just hang on one second, and I'm going to play the outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists 
was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.